Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. And what a wonderful episode today. It's one of the longest one I've done, but it went by so quick. There's so much great information. This guy has a lot of great information from where he came from, changing his mindset, and changing how he just viewed everything that he did from that point on. You will see. Also, you'll see some of his hobbies that he has. One was very surprising to me, but I'll let you get to it. This is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Dallas, Texas, and went to went on to play defensive back at the University of Baylor. Then went heading to the NFL to the Denver Broncos, Green Bay Packers, before heading north to the BC Lions and the Calgary Stampeders. He was a CFL All-Star. He's a Grey Cup champ, a Super Bowl champ, and now he's the DB coach for the Calgary Stampeders. Welcome to the show, Josh Bell. What up, brother? What's happening, brother? I'm glad you got me on here. I'm glad you got on here, man, because um, you know what? Most people don't know you. Yeah, you're, that's, you're, that's you're quiet. Cool. You're quiet. That's, I'm quiet. They think I'm quiet. To, to me, you're not. But I, I I think you're quiet. Like I don't I see some of the posts on Twitter, right? You you, you talk about some of the games when we're watching the games on Twitter, uh, but for the most part, like you don't ever see Josh in the interviews. You didn't do a lot of interviews when you played. It was mm-hmm. more of um, when you would be in a social setting. It wasn't like you were loud like me. You wasn't outgoing and yelling and and doing things right. So um, I'm glad you come on and just have a chance to uh, just share part of your journey. Man, you know what's crazy? Because of everybody that knows me, they know me, know me. And no, I'm talking half the time. You kind of get that hot, you get that cold. Either I'm all the way in and I'm the Mr. Congeniality or either I'm a mute. Yeah. It's just like, it's all about that time and depending on the place. Sometimes it's time to listen, sometimes it's time to talk. So, you know, I try to I try to find my place. It's trying my, find my place to do what I do. So, yeah. So, I like doing interviews and stuff like this because I think it does show who I am as a person and as a man, and I think it gives me a great opportunity to be able to infect the world. Yeah, 100%. How you been doing with all the COVID stuff going on, man? You have been laying low? You What you been up to? We actually been just uh, – well, the first thing we had to do was kind of accept COVID-19 as a real thing because yeah. I'm a guy. I don't get vaccinations when it comes to the flu. You know, I'm like, I don't I'm, know a, I'm a social Darwinist, survival of the fittest. You know, I'm going to live or I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, when COVID hit and I actually got on a flight March 16th before they shut down the border on the 20th, me and the wife sat down and we were just like, well, we got a lot of older family. Like we fam, we are family oriented. We go to her mother's house. My, you know, my aunt's house, you know, we go to family houses. We got a lot of kids. So it's like, man, we need to, you know, we were just going to move naturally. And then I said, you know what, let's kind of take, I want to take this serious because we could actually be uh, asymptomatic and go infect our our older family members. And I know it. And, you know, what if our family member died because we are reckless and don't care about what's going on and during the time. So we took it serious in the beginning. It's helped us be able to get to working out more, be consistent. You know, just having a good time where the world is shutting down in quarantine and we just adjusted our life and kind of the first time I got a summer vacation since I was probably in Michigan. <laughs> it has been a long time. 
So yeah. when you say you're working out more, what are you what are you doing to work out? What I like to call, and if, I'm glad that I hope you don't publish this podcast to the world because if <laughs> I t- that I'm doing Jane Fonda workouts. <laughs> Boy. But that's what I'm doing. Me and the wife, man, we'll get up and just no gym, no 24-hour fitness, no world health uh, that I love to go to all the time. But, but we get it, we just put some shoes on and say, hey, let's go hit it. And we'll just go take off and go running, hit some hills. We got a great trail over here, 10-mile creek, got a trail. We go to the creek, we go to the trail. We get out. I mean, I've been, I done unloaded probably about five or six yards of dirt off the back of my truck. Really? And me and the wife laying grass. We just been doing any and everything, bro, just to stay busy. Doing stuff you don't get to do because you're usually in the rat race. Yeah. I got a uh, Nordic track bike, like a spin bike for the house. Um, so bought that. I've been spending way too much money in COVID. Amazon is, I'm keeping Amazon alive. <laughs> and and oh. I bought a, a a regular outdoor bike too. So Hold on. can we can we can we move the podcast like Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna show the world what I just bought the other day because of COVID. So the people that's listening right now, you need to go to YouTube and check out the YouTube channel and subscribe. And you can see now, can you see that? Please hide packages from husband. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's how much Amazon <laughs> be getting love over here at this house. Yeah, man. In Walmart the other day, I said, we got to have that. Dude, there's so much. Everything. I, I think at one point, uh, probably through like May, probably every three to four days, there was a new package coming in. And and it was like the, even the neighbors. So it was like, it was funny because you just see FedEx coming and Pure Later coming and UPS coming. And it was a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of packages being delivered because, you know, it's, um you don't have nothing else to do. And then even scrolling through Facebook and stuff like that, that you see all these ads and different things. I done bought some Nike spin shoes and... Uh, <laughs> They never did no spin before. In a minute, you're gonna be up there like them boys in Atlanta with them high spin classes, the hip hop spin. Dude, you know that's what that's what I did for so long. I was on spin. Um, Joffrey got me into it. So um I started doing yoga in 2002. So I used to do a lot of yoga. Then Joffrey got me into hot yoga. And then I got into uh the spin classes and yeah, probably about 2011, 2012. And dude, I used to spin all the time. Um uh, before I think it was before my last season, I was spending, you know, six out of eight days. So I'd go to, I'd go to yoga class at night. I'd do a spin class, uh, hour spin class. Then I'd go to um, workout, but my workouts were just flexibility type stuff. Uh, yeah. I didn't lift anything over 35 pounds my last um, four or five years. Well, why um, would you? Exactly. It was all about functionality, strengthening the small muscles. And then I'd go to yoga class. Um, so I was only going to work out maybe twice a week, but spin class was, you know, I'd only miss one day a week. I'm in spin class and I'm in yoga four or five times a week. Right. So, and the yoga I'll go to the oxygen, man, they were just, they have fitness classes. So I go to ab classes. I know it didn't look like it, but I was going to ab classes and everything. And it was just, um, just crazy. Well, I mean, I, I think all of that right there, people might not say it looked like it, but it's a reason why you got the stats. It's a yeah. reason why I'm taking down. You know what I'm saying? Nick yep. was Nick. I mean, it was, it. 
recipe. That's what I love, man, about especially professionals. The recipe different from it for everybody, and that recipe wasn't the same the first four or five years as your last four or five. Yeah. Like, your first, my first four or five, I did a lot of, I did a lot of crazy pounding on my body. The mm. first, my early, early in my career, not just knowing what you knew from college, it's like you gotta go, oh, go hard, go, go, go. I started getting older. I stopped playing football <laughs> in the offseason. I didn't train for football in the offseason. I ran track yeah. at Skyline every single day from Monday to Thursday. Or oh, excuse me, from Monday to Friday until the first track meet in February. Mm. Then from Monday to Thursday until state track meet in May, second weekend in May, I'm running track. And, and can I say balls on this podcast? You can say whatever you want to say. I would get my balls busted. By <laughs> I'd get my balls busted. I was getting beat by high school guys at Dallas Skyline High School, and that was making me a better professional football player throughout my career. Yeah. Do you do a lot of bursting? I run, I do, I did, I subjected myself to, to every single thing in high school. All I did, I didn't do, I wouldn't pick cleats on until May. I mean, April, like around April. Yeah. For me, for me by myself while I was training, because I, I trained myself the whole time I was professional. Excuse me, I didn't train myself. I copied the strength and conditioning workouts from Coach Rich Tootin at Denver. Okay. And my uh, strength and conditioning coach in college, Big John. At Baylor, Big John got me right. Took me from 167, or excuse me, 160 pound freshman. I was 167 throughout four years in college. My senior year, I went from 167 to 180, 180-181. Mm. Then, so I lived by Big John's philosophy. And Big John would say, uh, just go, run as hard as you could and then, you know, you don't got to run no more. Yeah. You know, so I just follow Big John and, and that transition, that changing throughout uh, those workouts, man, it, it really changed throughout the time. Like you saying, yoga and biking. I know a lot of guys now that we play with or Around our age, they driving, they riding a hundred miles, twenty five miles in a day on that bike. Core parts, yeah. uh, core yeah. parts. He, he the one. Me, and we were roommates in in BC, and what thirteen? Yep. That joker just put down a hundred the other day. Steph Logan put in what fifty seven miles in one day the other day. So Steph Logan's got a bike now. Um, I got John Bowman in the spin class and uh, BJ Cunningham. They do spin class all the time now. And um, Ryan Phillips will win, bought a bike, right? So, but you know, oh, RP, hey, but RP got the suit too. He's like, they got suits. <laughs> John Bowman just got a, uh, a, a John Bowman outfit. I have to show you this outfit, man. I'm going to send you a picture. But it says Brooklyn on it where he's from. Then it has the MTL up here with the number seven. And it looks like a team, like, fit. Oh, hold on, hold on. And he if got he the pants he with it too. If he ain't got the helmet, I don't want. I don't believe. It. <laughs> <laughs> I need hey, everything. Hey, all of them, man. Uh, and it's so good because what you said earlier, beating up your body. We don't understand as athletes, especially young athletes, and in high school and college, it's all about pushing yourself to the point of getting the most out of yourself. But mm -hmm. as a pro, it's about being able to stabilize and be able to not pound so much that it's going to affect you. 
I remember Joe West used to run miles and miles and miles and come out there and burst three times and tear and pull his hamstring. I'm like, Joe, you're training wrong. You can't run miles and come burst all the time. Yes. Right? Or you got to work, learn how to work your way into it and learn how to practice. Right? I tell guys all the time, like, young guys don't know how to practice. They're like, what do you mean I don't know how to practice? You can't just come out here and burst, burst, burst all through practice, especially in the cold. It gets cold. You can't just come out here and start bursting. No. You might not even burst a whole practice sometimes. If the ball's overthrown, you know what? Sometimes it's not going to get there. But you got to know, okay, yeah, in the game, I might have been able to get there. But I can't do that every day at practice. Uh-oh. But, Nick, you opening up a can of worms. <laughs> you open up a can of worms because now we're we going to lead some, some old, some football players astray to having this conversation because this is a conversation where we have to separate the kinds of football players. Yeah. The elites. 100%. 100%. Elites. The elites and the guys that didn't press themselves that time to get as better as best as they could. Because yeah. you now we know I ain't supposed to go up and practice like this on day one because mm -hmm. this is a bad angle that compromises me. I got to play in the game. So I'm not supposed to go do that because I'm putting two or three people in peril for going up for this ball. Yep. And we got to win the game. But that's an elite football player that's good enough that can turn that switch on in the game. But you got some of those guys that are screws, and for lack of a better expression. So the youngins can understand. Some guys have to go make that play, though, Nick. Some guys got to yeah. go do that. They never did it before. They've never pushed their body to make that incredible play. And then uh, I guess that's KYP. Know your personnel. Know your personnel. Yeah, that's it. Because, you know, some guys are going to go get that ball, and other guys we're like, all right, I ain't going. I'm not going to contest a deep ball with Nick Lewis. I know Nick might to catch that. And I know how to play that ball. Nick can. Yeah, and it's very important to understand that for both sides. And um, yeah, I'm with you 100. You definitely got to know your personnel. Like you got to know how to prepare. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of it is knowing how to prepare. Um, have you talked to your guys and see how they are getting ready for this possible season? or what they're doing is training wise. Have you talked to them about anything uh, as their health wise? Dang, you know what's tough, Nick, is kind of, you know, I got that uh, Phil, Phil Jackson philosophy of football coach. So we met with the guys maybe three or four Sundays, just going over film, installing, just talking a little football, you know, cause I want guys to, if you want to learn football, let's talk football, let's do that. That's it. But for the most part, I tell the guys, hey, I don't care nothing about football right now. I will, I'm a little arrogant to a degree. I shouldn't say arrogant, but I believe in what I'm selling. So I believe that you give us seven days, give me six DBs or give me however many DBs you're going to give me. Give me a week to get ready, and we're going to go kick the mess out of anybody we line up against. You know, some people think you've got to do a lot more. My thing is I've really been looking at guys and trying to tell them to take advantage of this time. Take advantage yeah. of this time away from football because the business that we live in, bro, it ain't, you know, how it ain't for us, bro. It ain't for yeah. the players. You know, excuse me. It ain't, it's, not, it's not primarily for the players to be benefiting 100%. And a lot of times guys end up with uh, PTSD and things that I shouldn't say. Let me not be disrespectful to our veterans and say PTSD. But some guys – are shaken by living their life as a professional football player, living the ebb and flow of life. So as I talk to guys now, I'm more like, I got guys that work full-time jobs during Corona. Yeah. 
I'm calling them like, how you feeling, bro? Like, how are you feeling more than you healthy? Your body right? Yeah. You know, do you know how to play cover four? You know how to play cover two? I don't care nothing about it. I'm more just kind of getting on that just to make sure everybody's okay. You know, because during this time, this is the craziest thing that I mean, I've been a lot 35 years, never experienced anything like it. So as I reach out to guys, I'm just talking to them about life. Really, because once they get in the room, if they're better at life or if that life situation is better, they're going to play better. It's um, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I was the same way last year. I feel like it's more important for me to be a leader of men to to try to better them in every aspect of their life and not just on the field. Because I do think it carries over at times and, and, and things like that. But it just shows the difference of the mentality, you know, uh, Jamar Wall was on a couple weeks ago, and he yeah. talked about the relationship um, <clears throat> that you and him have uh, from teammates to coaching. And it is a very hard thing to do. Or well, I don't think it's a hard thing. A lot of people told me it's going to be hard. Um, like I had Brandon Rutley last year. We were teammates for three years in Montreal. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> I mean, we hung out all together, me, John Bowman, Steph Logan, mm-hmm. BJ, all of us. So we were together all the time. It was a big group of us. And to go and now be his coach, it was like the same thing. How was that for you changing over from uh, from just playing with Jamar and, and B. Smith and then going into coaching him? Uh, it, it, was, it was nothing. I thought, I actually thought too long on the situation. It was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Uh, I'm not. I'm not any different than I was as a player in the room as I am as a coach. Except for I'm sitting behind the desk with the clicker, and I'm sure. the person because when I was playing, I was the free safety. So basically, that's my defense. I'm the quarterback. I was in the hip, coach's hip pocket. So playing with those guys, I didn't do anything different. I listened mm-hmm. to them just like I listened to them before. Yeah. Uh, whatever they wanted, we changed mm-hmm. film up because I watched film a certain way. Smitty wanted the film produced a different way to be shown a different way. Mm. So whatever Smitty wanted, what you want? You want it like this? Okay, all right. I changed how I watch film. I changed how I set up the film. I changed how I did my cut-ups, and it worked for our room. And that was in 18. We won a great cup. So I yeah. never had a problem. I thought I would have a problem getting Brandon Smith, getting Jamar Wall to do different things than they've ever done before. Yeah. Because as a teammate, I was like, Oh, I know what Smitty's strengths and weaknesses are. So I played to cover him whenever he needed me. You know, we communicated yeah. with. So they were my boys. And as a coach, I tried my I tried my best the first day to let people know that, hey, I'm a coach. I got a one philosophy. I don't want no player to do everything I say. I don't want nobody to do nothing. I say. Exactly. Put me somewhere in the middle and talk to me because I'm a teammate. Yeah. My job is to make you the best you can be. <laughs> That's it. It's not about my ego and about me trying to change everything. It's about me saying, let's let's make some of the weaknesses stronger. Man, that's it. We gonna you you good at your good, but let's let's make them weaknesses a whole lot better. You know, you're gonna be a better player. Yeah. You know, so I didn't have a problem with Wall and Smitty. It, they actually spoiled me, man. I, I mean, they almost pushed me to tears at times. I had to fight back tears because I was able to live within the moment and say, dang, man, like. You know, I could smile in the middle of Smitty asking me a question sometimes because I knew what question he was about to ask me. Or I knew that we I already asked the question in the coaches' meeting because I knew what Smitty, how his mind worked. Yeah. 
Then so I knew I'm like, can't say that. If you say that, if you say always, somebody gonna tear you up. <laughs> Not a hundred percent. Don't say always, bro, because it's eighty-two percent or it's eighty-nine percent. It ain't always. And if he got that eleven, he gonna it's one clip on that film that's gonna show that it ain't that. Don't do that to Smith. He's gonna he's gonna say something about it. Yeah, I'll be like, hey, this wild now. I say, hey, wild didn't make that play first. Talk, I ain't gotta talk to him. He already know what he did. Those guys, those guys, them vets, they put their hand up after they blow something. <clears throat> My bad. Oh yeah, you see it. My bad, bro. Cause they know they're gonna make the next play. So I don't yeah. have to coach. They help me become a coach. They help me to, they're more like my translators because I don't speak everybody's language in the room. Yeah. So my vets, they kind of, you know, that as a young guy, you know how young guys, they always look, coach, what you want me to do? Coach, what you want me to do? <laughs> how about you take the ball from him or don't let him catch the ball? <laughs> Simple. I don't, what else? I don't care what you do, coach, where I'm supposed to line up at. Somewhere between seven and ten, son. Wherever you want to line up, son. Just line up and cover him. Cover him. Don't let him kiss the ball. <laughs> you looking at me to be a rocket scientist, and all I do is play football. And so my vets, all they do is be like, don't worry about uh, grandma over there being an old grumpy woman. Come over here. Come over here. They be like, all right, we're going to do this. And I'll be like, you ain't talking to me. You talking to Wall and Smith. You talking to the vets. Because once I install... Once I talk to you in a meeting, I'm going to walk back with you after a play to talk about that, that thing you just busted. After that, we don't need to talk about it no more. You're supposed to know. Yep. So 100%. my vets made it easy for me, you know, yeah. easy. But I had a room, though. I had a room my rookie year. Brandon Smith, Jamal Wall, Brand, uh, Tunde Delicate, Adam Berger, Siante Evans. Are oh, you talking about your rookie year coaching? Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had an all-star. It was easy button, bro. I tell them all the way, get out the way and let them play. That was the philosophy. Yep. Let them communicate with each other. Man. And then all I do is show them what the offense was doing. This is what the offense is going to do to you. You see you keep doing that right there? Oh, they going to come get you, watch. They going to come get you. They coming for you. This your game. That's all I'm doing. Pumping guys for the high air, saying they invincible. Yep. So, our wall them really helped me. Uh, because I don't speak the language of everybody, but they helped be my translators. They helped me learn how to coach more. And they did that as players when I played with them. Yeah. I'm 100% with you because I was on the same thing with the, um, with Brandon Rutley and John White last year. It was just I just had to help them. But they, I told them, I said, look, y'all control the room. This is not for me to control the room. Like, they're going to – everybody's going to go off your pace. You know, Jamel and Mario, I said, even Mackie. Mackie's going in his third year. And I was like, Mackie, I know that you've never been in this position. You always has Roley. But, like, now you got to be this guy, mm. right? So now you got to be the guy that Mario sees. And I always say, if you can see what the bar looks like, you know where you need to get to. So you know every day what I'm trying to achieve. And that's what they had to be was the bar. And then the young guys just had to go and try to reach that bar on a daily basis, right? And my job was just to help mold it and try to make it a little bit easier for them. But um, yeah, and I think those two guys did a hell of a job in that transition. And, and it sounds like same way with you having Jamar and Smitty it just makes that transition so much easier because mm -hmm. now you just get to mold guys individually to use their strengths that 
because Brandon and, and Jamar are very intelligent defensive football players, right? There's not a lot left. Like you, RP, um, there's not like a lot of guys that just mentally can think their way through a game and, and go out there. I mean, the route reading that, I mean, always that I've heard of in Calgary since 20, ever since Stu really got there, like as far as them to go out there and just read routes, um, reading formations, knowing what's coming. Mm-hmm. And you know who I learned all that from? Who's that? Well, CFL-wise, Corey Banks, Dante Marsh, Ryan Phillips. Yeah. They talked excuse me, let me not be disrespectful to the all-time interception return leader, Byron Parker. <laughs> yeah. You know, smart dude. Those, yeah. those guys taught the concept, how to do this, how to do that, you know, and piggybacking off of that, we can go back to Charles Woodson and Champ Bailey too. Yeah. You know, man, those, those guys, guys. Man, if you haven't, it, golly, the amazing thing of being able to watch your peers. Watch a Nick Lewis practice. Watch a Nick Lewis play. Watch a Nick Lewis. Watch one of them guys. Like, how amazing is that to be able to see those guys do what they do and then stand right next to them and say, wow, why yeah. did you do that? Um, one thing I learned from Champ, I was a rookie, and we'd be playing quarters. We playing quarters, and there's two receivers on the side with Champ. And you know, the, the number two receiver would run a curl. The number one receiver, I mean, excuse me, the number two receiver run an out. Yep. Number one receiver run a curl. Now, this number one receiver is Eddie Rule. This mm. Eddie Rule, 4 3, Eddie Rule. <laughs> like, quick, 5 9, right now. So I'm, I'm a young guy, and if I'm playing quarters, I'm outside of Eddie Rule. I'm looking at the quarterback, making sure that if Eddie get in my cushion, I'm going vertical because Eddie can roll. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, bet. I'm outside leverage like Coach say. I watched Champ play quarters before me with the ones. He inside leverage in quarters. And I'm like, he can't see Eddie. Eddie his blind spot if he run out there. Eddie know he in Champ blind spot. Eddie take off, try to get in Champ blind spot even more. But Champ sitting at about nine, ten yards where Eddie supposed to be curling. Yeah. Champ reading the quarterback the whole time. Catch the ball, three step, and set up. And Champ looking, and Champ ain't moved his feet. He's sitting there patterning his feet at about 10, 11, 12 yards. And Eddie got to run around him to try to run the curve because Champ on his spot. And I'm like, I'm like, Champ, he in your blind spot. Why you didn't get out of there? Because Eddie might take off on a nine ball. And he like, the quarterback caught the ball and set up a three-step. And I seen number two run the out route. It's a curl coming with that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> three-step, he got an out. It's a curl coming with that, because that's what they do over there. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's how champ was champ. Yeah. You know, Charles Woodson is Charles Woodson, because he'll go stand on the spot. That the quarterback wanted to throw to because he studied quarterback, studied route, studied everything. And I'm like, man, I learned that along the way. I wasn't good at it. I wasn't good at doing it, but I learned it along the way. And I'm like, I wanna, I got guys that can do it. So I'm like, hey, go do what I never could do, bro. Cause you got it. Go yeah. go read that read that concept, make that play, because you can make that play. And man, um, what period, excuse me, I I'm I'm deviating, but what period in practice? Did you get to? Did you feel the most 
of like, like Nick Lewis, the player in practice as a coach? Um, I would say individual. That's what I felt like most because I felt like it was, I've been training kids since 2008, mm-hmm. right? So I could go and watch something in a game. I remember John broke one in uh, against Edmonton and John doesn't have quite the same speed that he had before the knee injury. Right. Uh-huh. And he tries to outrun the safety and he keeps pushing towards the sideline. And then he has no cutback and he gets tackled and for a 36 yard gain. I said, I said, John, if you run up the numbers right there, the guys behind him, you aren't catching him. But now you put the safety in a position where he's got to turn and face up, and now you make him miss, you score. So then I put a drill together for that first day of practice the next week, and we started repping that drill where we go through the bags, hit towards an angle, but now as I come over, now you got to face me up and you got to make a move. Yeah, yeah. Right, so for me to see what they were doing and say, okay, well, we got to do this better. We didn't jump cut well early in the year. So I started mm-hmm. doing jump cut drills. Then all my running backs started jump cutting in practice, jump cutting in the game, and they were just like, okay, great. Nice. Those things like that, just seeing where I thought we could be better in certain situations, mm-hmm. that's what we did. Um, Blocking-wise, John got to the point where he's lunged a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't even know what kind of balls. The medicine balls, you know, the big gray and black. The big, the big ones, real heavy. So, if you don't do it right, you're gonna break your rib. Yeah, so I'd come off the edge and just like pass protection, I would toss it to them. They had to attack me, but stay in the control. They had to hit it back to me, and then they had to follow up because they once they hit it back to me, I catch it, and then they got to follow up with their hands again. So it's stopping them on their first action and then coming back under control to finish the, finish finish the, the block. block. Yeah. Because I always said, if, if you're a running back, even if guys are bigger, as long as you can stop their initial rush with a great punch without lunging, now you just be a better athlete. You can, you can use basketball technique to stay in front of people with your hands, right? right? We don't have to mm-hmm. dog people. We just have to block them, mm-hmm. right? So I was teaching them how to punch without lunging because if you lunge, you miss, you're done. Right, so still give that punch, but still be in control to keep moving forward and follow through with a second punch to control it. Right, so things like that, that I started learning because I I went Google stuff and then um, I kind of created that one. But just seeing those types of things, right, and just saying, okay, well, this is where we got to get better. So Mm -hmm. my individual was more on the individual technique of – how we can get better as a group and not just uh everything else because one person's true then yeah. if he prove everybody else can improve off that same drew exactly nice. exactly I'm right glad man dang bro right dang. i tell oh. people all the time like john and john and rutt didn't even know how to read defenses they didn't know how to read defensive fronts they didn't even know them they just I, naturally put on ability yeah I taught them defensive fronts. And once they learned defensive fronts, John would come to the sideline like, man, this is easy now. I'm like, yeah, because now you know where they're trying to funnel you. That's why he was going off last year? Yeah. Because he, he, come was, up, he come up, he's like, I don't know what an under front is. I don't know what an over front is. 
I'm like, they're in the underfront. You know that you're going to be downhill to bounce if the end cuts inside. If you're in the overfront, you're going to be downhill to cut back, depending on what this tackle and that tackle do. So, I mean, breaking all that down and just understanding where you're going to go, just having a mindset, a game plan, right? I always thought my way through a game. So I was like, dude, you got to think your way through this. You can't just get the ball and not know. That's why if you look at John's tape, sometimes he gets the ball in the backfield and he starts looking, okay, where am I going? No anticipation. No anticipation. Mm. Right. And that's why more coaches, players need to coach. Yeah. Yeah. You teach them things like that, man. They were just able to do so much. Man, because Rudd was going Ooh. off last year, bro. Ooh, I tried to get him on the roster more. And you know, That's the only I'm thing already, I hate him. I'm a, I got a man crush on Ridley now. I do I too. Had a man crush. <laughs> hey, me and Wall have talked about Brandon Ridley since maybe 2014 or 15 when we played them at home. And a couple weeks leading up to it, that boy was dropping people off. I think it was when he was playing like fullback, and I can't remember who the tailback was, but he Suddy? was kind of like, it was Sud, yeah. And Rudd would come in, and they had them both up, and that boy was dropping people left and right. Rudd was killing people. And I, I pulled up on him in the game, because he was running, and we were doing whatever. And me and Wild was like, we knew that we had to fast pursuit. We had talked all week, like, we got to get to that boom before he get up in space, because he weren't big black. Yeah. So we in the game, and I don't know. You know, pulled up on him. He got tackled. So I said, hey, not today, man. You ain't going to have that. <laughs> I mean, we've been watching that film. We see your ass, and we're not going to have that shit today. And, he, you know, he laughed, and we kind of had a rapport after that ever since. But I've always had an admiration for him and what he's done. I even follow him on Instagram, and I ain't going to follow everybody. Yeah. You know, he the pop lock, he the pop lock and fashion <laughs> 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 you know, so I'm like, okay, I like Rudd, you know, Rudd. And then for him to have success and be bottled last year, on, and I forgot all about Nick Lewis was giving him a little tutelage over there, yeah. you know. Rudd like, averaged 85 yards a game off, like, 12 carries that he started. And every game that he started, about 12 carries, he was averaging 85 yards. I was like, man, if we, we run the ball 20 times, there's no way Rudd's not putting up 130 as a starter. Because, see, here was my biggest thing. I always said, I think – John's the more explosive guy, but Rutt, I think, is the better, right? Rutt can catch more consistently at the backfield, blocking-wise, assignment-wise, everything. He's going to hit it downhill. He doesn't really take losses. Mm-hmm. Um, but John's your explosive guy. But I always tell, I told him last year, I was like, man, if we can get them both on the roster, if one is going to keep both of them healthy, and then we have that situation where we can go, go, go. But mm-hmm. – didn't happen all the time, but you know, that's a part of it. I you know the numbers. The, hey, the numbers don't lie. You know the numbers. So <laughs> well see, I feel like I feel like John White is uh similar to Marion Barber. Yeah. You know, he gonna always cut back on you, he gonna always lower that boom. And he's hell if you could get him as a change of pace back because he's still a downhill every down back. But yeah. as a change of pace, with that fire he burned, with that play so big too, man. After he give it to you and then stand up and let you know, because he gonna get that momentum rolling. Like I like him, <laughs> yeah. Because losing by by seventeen points mm-hmm. and a quarter, and if I give him the ball and he breaks an eight yard run and first down, 
or a 12 yard run or 15, he gonna build us up every yeah. time. Gonna build us because he's energy. And he's I'm a high energy like, guy. That's yeah. Intangible you can't replace, bro. Yep. Oh, great backs. They're both great backs. Man, man. How they as men? They great. Same, same they great. as men. Yeah, they're great. Great leaders to the younger guys. Great. Uh, great men to be around, funny to be around. Um, you know, I'm, I took the clay approach. Like, I, I would hang out with him, uh, you know, once every two weeks or every three weeks. Yeah, uh, running back go, Yeah, yeah, we go hang out a keg or somewhere on uh, downtown, you know, yeah. and just oh, hang oh. out. Uh, parlor, eat some pizza and, <laughs> and hang out. But uh, no, they were great. They were great, man. They were great. Um, so what do you do for hobbies? I've never known any Josh Bell hobbies. Like, what is a hobby that you have? First off, we'll, uh, I, well, I'll, I'll expose myself to the world today. Only for Nick, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Only for Nick. All right, now we go. This is my first, my first hobby. This is my first hobby. I've been doing it for four years. Pokemon Go. Really? Gotta catch them all, baby. <laughs> now, now respect my hustle now, because I am level 40, and that's the highest level you can get. I am level 40. That's that's hobby number one. It's Pokemon Go. It keeps me uh, <laughs> it keeps me uh it keeps me faithful to my wife. Pokemon so, Go. I would I, never I, guess. I, I catch all the women. Now, this is the second wife. I tell you that. This is the second wife. So, Pokemon Go is helping me. <laughs> uh, the other stuff I like to do is random, bro. This is probably one of my favorites. Puzzles. Mm. I'm a puzzle guy. Thousand piece puzzle. We can keep it going. It's not too busy, not too long. Don't get you discouraged, but also give you, um, I'm big on completion. Yeah. So, we can finish it. I finished the fastest. The fastest one I ever did was like four days. On a thousand. No, I'm lying. We did one family night, game night, and we did, I think, that night. Everybody. You ever played uh, exit games or <laughs> board? You, you ever go board games? Monopoly. So I'm a competitive board game. I've way past Monopoly. I got a $100 board game called Cash Flow by Robert Kiyosaki, um, which is awesome. Uh, I started out with Settlers Like a Tan, and now I've I probably have about $2,000 or more worth of board games in our basement because I get these board games. I just love playing them. Matter of fact, I bought one on Xbox, Sid Meier's uh, Civilization VI. And it takes about 35 to 40 hours to play one game. Right? And you're making all these moves and different stuff. But that's my competitiveness, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> Now, you're saying these games now the board games. Are you talking about like board games? We at Chinook Mall, we walk in from the parking garage and to the left, you got those those type of games? Yeah, yeah. My, man, I got an LB that's into those too. Yeah, I, I love those like competitive board games that take three or four hours to play. Um, I got two uh, Game of Thrones board games and all kinds of different ones. There's different levels because some I play with the kids, some I play – with just some of the guys that just, you know, that are competitive board gamers. And to me, it's not about winning and losing, it's about competing. Yeah. I gotta have that competition or I get very angry. <laughs> I'm not 
not the same type of person. Golly, you just spoke a mouthful. I just said to my wife, I need some more competition. Uh, <laughs> you know, Corona, that's where Corona is killing me. Yeah. Can't get my competitive edge. I can't get that 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 once a week. Yeah. I got oh, kicked that. out of the 35 and up basketball league. I got suspended for two years. Got into it at a uh, in the championship game. We lost by two. Got kicked out. I got kicked out of three games this year. It's well, because I, mean, I it's because I play I don't play hard enough to really because I feel like you know I I'm just doing it more for the run, mm. but I'm still ultra competitive. So I probably shouldn't play because until I'm willing to commit the effort into being the best I can be on the court, I probably mm. shouldn't play because I'm way too competitive. When people start talking, it's just like. Dude, I, you don't even want to know. Nick, I have to wear a Bella Clava because I used to play seven on flag football, Texas Northern. <laughs> and so you know how people get out there and they be like, oh, yeah, he, blase, blase. And they be coming for you. So I wore my Bella Clava so nobody could see me and it kept my mouth closed. <laughs> you know how them boys get when they get out there. They get to the talking. And I'm playing with boys I grew up, some of the boys I grew up in the hood with from the club. From Carter yeah. Kimball, Sock, Roosevelt. So they over there talking that hot cash. Oh, you ain't like that. You ain't this. You ain't that. Let me keep my mouth full. Because as soon as you talk crazy to me, <laughs> I'll put my hand around your throat. <laughs> I play real football. Stop talking to me, boy. I play real football. I'll run through your face. Right now, no helmet on because I ain't afraid of nothing. Like, yeah. stop, stop talking to me like that. You know who I am? You better shut up. <laughs> <laughs> And I only play hard in the fourth quarter. Only in the fourth, Nick. You go hard in the fourth because I'm trying to win. I keep it close, then put them to bed. Yeah, you gotta win. But, I, but see, I'm I'm still you know I'm still that ultra competitive. You tell say something crazy to me, I put my hands on. And see, that's the thing is like that's why a board game is probably the best for me because <laughs> I've never been kicked out of a board game, almost, but never been kicked out. I turned one over before. Man, I just can't – it's hard to play with my family because, you know, they like to help each other and sometimes team up against me and stuff like that because, oh, you take it so serious. This is a board game. I said, no, it's not. This is the way of life. Win. <laughs> Competition is life, bro. Everything's is wins and losses. Who are you? Who are you as a person? Yeah, win your battles. You got to. Okay. So, go, huh? Hold on, board game. Don't try to go away from this two thousand dollars on board games, Nick. <laughs> Get away with that. Two thousand dollar book. How often do you play these board games now? Um. See, that's the hard part. With COVID, it slowed down because people couldn't come over, um, mm. and things like that. My family. Um, our second oldest daughter. She's eighteen, uh, about to be nineteen, and uh, I call her twin because she's super competitive, just like me. Nice. She's she quit playing sports around like ten or eleven, but she's still like me and her the both most competitive in the house. But then you know my wife is not super competitive. I mean she can be, but board game wise it's supposed to be fun. So it's like like we're supposed to play to have fun. I said no, we're not. It's not fun if you get your ass whooped. Like that's <laughs> like you can't tell me losing is fun. But if, if I can compete and lose and I can and I know that you did it and you just were better than me that day or that time, 100 percent respect. I had a great time. Yeah, we ain't gonna play till I destroy you. 
We ain't gonna stop. <laughs> Your first time was lucky anyway. It's next time I got the assist process and destroy you. Yeah. But these exit games, they're like um they're one time use. I think they're like fourteen or twenty dollars at Walmart. They're called exit games. And it's just like having an escape room. So oh. you open the box and then there's an app to it and everything like tells you minutes and your score. So then you try to get it done as fast as possible. You can have up to four people, but yeah, you go through page and page and page and there's hints and stuff. So I'm yeah. Have to look yeah. Cause we, games. we yeah. do game night now. We do game night around here. We'll have some drinks, put some music on, you know, or put, you know, sit up here and get some food. Old lady yeah. got this fire in here, pile up some wings. Yeah, little game. Okay. You might like that the exit games because it's a one-time use. I mean, you got to use the box. It comes in. You might have to cut it and do different things. You go from room to get out to the house, and so it's cool. But that's the board game fix, man. That's the board game fix. All right, but you still got hobbies. I got one more hobby I've been doing. I got one more hobby, but I can only show you. Let's do it. And this this is this is a hobby, but let me see how many people I mean people think this is a real hobby. And I'm giving you this live direct look <laughs> into my life because it ain't hundred percent yet. We ain't finished. But I've been laying dirt. I told you I've been laying dirt. That's the hobby right there. Just putting grass out, putting dirt and grass, grass and dirt. Like mess, you got some grass trees coming up out there. Man, I don't know what's going on. We've been trying to, I've been pruning, lining everything up, getting everything right, man. I used to have the dogs. Yeah. What what part of Dallas you in? I'm in DeSoto. Are you in DeSoto? Oh, you yeah. living good then. Man, look at you. Oh, you I, living I live. good then. <laughs> Be at the DeSoto I, High School football game. No, 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 no. I'm not a trader like that. I only do Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna do Skyline. Now, I'm not going to support no DeSoto High School football. I don't care where I live. I'm a loyalist now. I'm a loyalist. So yeah, I'm living. Yeah, you know, we right over here in DeSoto. I got lucky and listened to my uh, my advisors when I was a young man, and they said buy a house, and I bought a house in DeSoto. That's good. Congrats. Well, let's talk about growing up in Dallas. Matter of fact, it says you're from LA. When did you move from LA? Man, I was about two two years old when I moved to LA, moved from LA. That's why I announced That's that you were from Dallas, because I mean, real deal. That's how I get down. You know, let, oh, excuse me. Let me represent it the right way. Triple D. <laughs> Triple D. That's Triple it. D. It's the dirty, dirty Dallas. Is that how they call it? Dirty, dirty Dallas. So, you know, I, I'm a Dallas guy through and through. Uh, my mother's side of the family is predominantly here in Texas, and my father's side of the family is predominantly. Split, but predominantly in California. Okay. Uh, so I get the best of both worlds. My brothers killed me growing up and said, yeah, he's in California. He's in California all the time. <laughs> he's from Texas. Even now, my brother, you ain't from Texas. You California. You know, we even debate who has the best football. It's not a debate. Like, it, it's not a debate. It's not a debate at all. So, I mean, growing up, I grew up with three younger brothers. I'm the oldest. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm the oldest, period. I'm the oldest out of all siblings, you know, in wedlock, out of wedlock, brothers, mothers, fathers, I'm the oldest. Uh, and I've always kind of been the oldest, kind of like that father role. Yep. 
even through Little League. Man, I've had success in football since I was a young man. My I started playing ooh, football in second grade, Duncanville Mustangs. Was it tackle football or was it just flag? Flag. Flag. I, I'm And I'm big even today on kids playing flag as long as they can until they start hitting at about seven, eight, nine. Yeah. You know, I think flag is important, just kids learning. Up. My, I mean, my son, my son plays flag right now. He, like, plays on the six and other team. He, like, I want to run the ball. <laughs> you know, but he, and he did that when he was four. Yeah, mm. he, like, I want the ball. So it's been good. I, I love flag football. I love everything about it. Duncanville Mustangs went up to the St. Philip Saints, won a national championship in Pop Warner. Yeah, uh, 96, 97 back to back national championships and made it to Skyline after that as a sophomore. I, play, I even played older but lighter, played by Warner when I was a freshman in high school. Really? Yeah, my, my old man, I played for St. Philip, the St. Philip Saints, because my old man played for him. And so he took me down there. And he was one of the coaches. He was never my coach directly, but he was one of the coaches on the team lower than me. And he was the guy that was like, Boy, you little. You don't need to go over there and play high school ball. You ain't nothing but 85 pounds. Or I think I might have been 100 pounds in sixth grade. And so, or seventh grade, eighth grade, I might have been 100 pounds. And he was like, you know, 115. He's like, you don't need to go play no football. You need to keep playing if I want So I played as a freshman. Tried to win another national championship and didn't do that. But then came as a sophomore and played sophomore junior. And I was terrible as a sophomore. As a, I was sorry. What position do you play? You, play, you always play DB? Always. I will. As a Pop Warner guy, I was the guy Kinda that you put anywhere. Okay. You know what I'm saying? If they ain't making the L's at if they ain't making the L's at the end, put them at the end. But I mm -hmm. played corner my whole life. I played corner my whole entire life. Uh, got to high school and played corner in, in safety. I was terrible. On JV, never <laughs> even played, Nick. I just told this story yesterday to my, uh, my cousin. He was like, man, you made it all the way to this. And I said, bro, I was sorry. I said, <laughs> more year in college, I mean, high school. I remember this biggest, vivid as day. My, my coach, who I love, Steve Williams, is one of the best coaches I ever had, D coordinator on varsity. My, my sophomore year, he could never get my name right. I never even got in the game. Now, we playing Molina, Nick. We playing <laughs> Molina. Molina, team full of, you know what I'm saying? They ain't got no football players over here. Molina, yeah. that's what Dallas. Ain't no football players over there. No. We supposed to blow this team out by second quarter and everybody supposed to play. Third or fourth quarter come around and the coach looking at me and Kevin Malone and we both, he never got our names right. Never got our names right. He look at, he'd always call me Kevin, call him Josh. We get to the fourth quarter of the game. We're like, oh, we about to go in. Boy, we blowing the lead now. We about to go in. Boy, we about to go in. So this joker looked at me. He looked at Kev. Looked at me. Looked at Kevin. He say, Kevin, get in there. I almost cried, Nick. I almost cried. You didn't get in the game. No, I went in the next play, Nick. He said, all right, man, go in there. I was heartbroken right then. I'm like, Kevin, sorry. I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro, it broke me. But it broke me down to a point to where I was always able to self-reflect as a football player and say, I'm grinding. So I went overdrive. Next year, I was starting on varsity by the end of the year. That's awesome. What changed? Was it just the way you approached the game? Uh, mentally, what was the the change that allowed you to go from that situation to 
to say, you know what, I can will myself to be one of the best players on the field. Um, I was already that player, but I didn't know anything. Uh, well, first off, we said from sophomore to junior year, uh, the girls were putting their hands around my waist as a sophomore. And then as a senior, I mean, excuse me, as a junior, they were putting their hands around my waist. As a sophomore, they were putting their hands around my shoulders. Okay. So, so God gave me some height and some size, first off. Um, and then the difference with me mentally is I knew. I knew I could, I'm, I was more, I've never been the best athlete, but my brain has been my biggest superpower, my biggest muscle always. Yeah. So I could assess what somebody did well. And if they did something well, I'd learn from their rep. And then I wouldn't make the same mistake if they made a mistake or if they did something well, I learned and I made that same decision. So then the next time I made less mistakes than everybody else. I watched who was weak. I watched their weaknesses. I watched, I knew my weaknesses. I knew my strengths. I knew the system, and I hit everything moving. I hit mm -hmm. everything moving, and I was running everywhere. If they, if you were faster than me, we'd never know it. Because whenever the coach was watching, I was beating you to a certain point. We were running mm -hmm. from this field to that field, and everybody jogging. I'm sprinting. Mm. I'm beating you over there. I'm first every time because I'm a kid. I'm playing like a kid all the time. You can't beat me, boy. So you competing on a different level than everybody else. They competing between the whistle, but you competing every second that you out there. Every woman. I learned right. people too. I learned the eye contact with men. Mm. Men feel more confident and more assured if you give them a certain type of eye contact and a certain type of positive feedback. Mm. So as a young man, I learned that from my coaches. I learned what my coaches get, got pissed off about. I learned what that where they were irritable at. I learned what their pet peeves were as a coach, and I made sure I didn't touch that pet peeve. So you know? you just went whole psychological with that, and you know, I talked to so many people about this. You know, growing up, we'll be like, "Oh man, this dude could have made it," but politics or politics sometimes, or but it's really not all the time. It's really mm -hmm. the mental aspect of it. There's super talented people that never learned it mentally. And for you to get it at such a young age, like that's a special to, to be in a situation that you were in and that you could have just packed it in and just say, you know what, these coaches don't like me or these, you know, I'll never play or these people are better than me. Or, mm -hmm. But you say, you know what, I'm going to be better. I'm going to outcompete them. Even when they don't know we competing, we compete. Oh, Right. That's the that's the thing. But that's the mindset that makes greatness. That's special. Nick, if we're doing this puzzle right here, you know, it's uh, me and my best friend were just in here. He flew in because he had a family member die over the weekend. And mm -hmm. we're doing this puzzle that was already started. And he started competing. And he's talking about this competitive puzzle. <laughs> it's competitive puzzle. And he telling his cousin, it's competitive pussy, bro. You ain't put enough pieces in over there. Look how many pieces I done did. That's what we do with yeah, everything. everything. You don't drink water faster than me. You don't hydrate better than me, Nick. Yeah. And if you don't hydrate better than me, you know hydration is supposed to make you a better person. You ain't better than me. And I'm going to let you hear that. Everything, my son, my son in there, he can't climb up that fence. No, he can climb the fence over here. Once he learned how to climb that fence, I don't want to see that no more. Let me see you come to the top of that big tree up there. Yeah. 
You know, come on, let's let's one up each other. I think that's how we get better. I'm a Star Wars and Dragon Ball Z guy. I believe in the power of the mind over anything else. I believe you can will yourself. Excuse me, uh, uh, the good book says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, indeed. So why would I get in a situation in life and forget what I know or what I believe? Yeah. That's what the most. Yeah, yeah. When I'm hurting, when I'm hurting and I'm running and I'm like, man, I'm tired. I can't go no more. I should never even have that mentality because I can't. Yeah. You know, our mind plays for our body does. Right. Our relentless perseverance, relentless perseverance, relentless perseverance. Um, I think that is Joshua Bell, relentless perseverance. Yeah. N not because I'm the best. And my football journey is the same at every level, Nick. It's the same from the time I started playing flag football. You have to come in, assert yourself, and learn and rise because you're new. Yep. So went to the next team. Nobody knew me. They gave me a nickname, California, because my birth certificate was from California. I had to step in and rise. Went to a new team, switched teams between levels because I was playing older but lighter. I had to step in and rise. Went to high school, step in. I always know that it's a, an adjustment period. I accepted it because I saw it two or three times. Yeah. So adjustment period, transition period, and then rise. Like, rise. Know what everybody else is doing, get up to speed, and then take off on them. Yep. If he beating everybody by five yards, beat his ass by five yards. 100%. Uh, in college, when I was at Baylor. Well, wait a second. Before you go there, How'd you get to Baylor? Oh. Like, oh. like, what was the recruiting like? You, I mean, obviously, most people, their most important year is probably their 11th grade year. And you became a starter during that year. So how, how was the recruiting to get to Baylor? And how did you choose Baylor over everybody else? Man, real story. You asked some good answer questions, right? This is a real story here. Another one. Derek Roberson was my recruiting coordinator at Skyline. Wesley McGriff, who's now, I want to say, uh, co-defensive co coordinator at Auburn. Okay. Um, he was actually with Bro in New Orleans, DB coach. He recruited me. Came down, he was recruiting me and Mike Cooks and my roommate, actually, Nick Fellows from Skyline. And so he came down, he asked me, we walked from the – you know, coaches office, watch the film. He watched the film. It was Baylor and Stephen F. Austin in the room, Nick. I'm going to tell you, this is 2002, December. December, January 2002. Uh, 03, January. I'm getting recruited. You know how they are. They call you out to class. Come sit down here, talk to these coaches. You know, you're going through all of these guys. I wasn't a highly ranked guy. You know, I didn't make the area top 100 in Dallas until the last ranking after the, my senior year. So I jumped up there maybe halfway through, like in 73. I was like 73rd in the area. So Coach uh, McGriff came down and said he saw my we, – we walked up to the counselor's office to get my transcript, and my SAT score was what it was, and I was, wasn't proud of it. It was, uh, I want to say, 1090 or 1100. Yep. And I was expecting to make it like a 12 or 13. Now, this on a 1600 scale because these kids now run a 2400 scale. Yeah. I was – 
you know, looking to make 12, 13, try to get as many as much scholarship money as possible. Try, I didn't know I was just getting into college because I was a first generation scholarship. Uh, so McGriff saw my scores. He said, can you dunk a basketball? I said, if you put it in my hand. He said, <laughs> he said will you hit somebody? Now, we just watched the game where I had 10 tackles and nine solos. He said, will you hit somebody? I said, if they in my way. He said, how fast are you? I said, I'm faster than anybody. If whatever, if we race, I'm going to beat anybody we line up against. And he was like, he came back down to Simon Trans, looked at Coach Rob. He said, Coach Rob, Bell here won't give me no straight answer. I don't, I'm trying to, I'm his position coach, trying to recruit him, give him a scholarship. He won't give me a straight answer. And I say, I had been burned throughout the process because I had some business that got burned on me because I wasn't a top priority guy. Yeah. I was like second tier or third tier on some guys' boards. So guys just wanted to come bring me in and look at me and talk to me. And if some things didn't fall through, then they would offer me. Yeah. But McGriff was like, I'm trying to offer him right now because I like what I see from him. He won't give me a straight answer. Coach Rob took me in there in that back room. And he said, you want to be the best, don't you? I said, yeah. I was looking at Stephen F. Austin. Because I was like, <laughs> Stephen F. Austin was a competitive school for me. And I knew cats like Braylon Lester that had signed scholarships and went over there and had success and played football for my school. Baylor was getting their face drug stomped in. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter to you about Big 12 or? No, I want to win, bro. I want to win. I want to go somewhere where I know somebody going to get some, they going to have some respect and they going to win. I don't want to be around here doing none of that. Because McGrill, because Rob said, you say you want to be the best, don't you? I said, yo. He said, you work to be the best every day, don't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, who got the best receivers in the nation? Now, you tell me if you think back to 03. Baylor. Uh-uh. Back in 03, Nick. You had Roy Williams at Texas. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was when I was coming out. So, you had Roy, oh. Sloan Thomas, B.J. Johnson. Who was at, who was at OU? Uh, who was at OU then? I don't even. But, see, they had all of them. They had Rashawn Woods at Oklahoma State. Yeah, they did. You had all them boys in the Big 12. That was real, real. You had Terrence Murphy at, I mean, at Annan. Yeah, Darius Bowman was over there, too. I know you. So, so then that's 03. And my coach said, who the best receivers in the nation? Roy, Roy couldn't be touched back then. No. Roy was a god now. Now, I'm going to do this because I'm a Baylor man. You Come know? on, man. <laughs> but Roy couldn't be touched. Roy couldn't be touched. He was a god to me. I knew Roy. You know? I said so, him, him my freshman year. We went out to Odessa for a track meet. Ooh, that man was something different. He was a freshman, too. We, we were coming out of college together. Bro, I almost walked on to Texas too. I seen they had the top three receivers in Texas go to Texas. BJ with BJ too. Yeah, that BJ. Was BJ. Ooh, and BJ, BJ was nasty. Oh, so much. He went to school with my cousin and everything. So I've known BJ for a long time. It's like not personally, but I've seen him play for a long time. He BJ. was my. He was kind of my Peter Warwick comparison. Yeah, they was. Uh, he just never so, got it there in Texas. But go ahead. Uh, yeah. Right. So then. Uh, he told me, I said, man, the Big 12 got the best receivers in the nation. He said, if you want to be, do you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. I said, all right. He said, now, if you don't go out here and get this man a straight answer, I'm going to turn my foot sideways. <laughs> <laughs> and Coach Rob was a man that you couldn't say the N-word around him. You couldn't use profanity around Coach Rob. 
So I knew he was using a dramatic effect. I'm going to turn my foot sideways because he knew what kind of kid I was, too. Yeah. And respectful and everything. So he knew. He talked me right through it. I walked out right then and I told Cousin McGriff, all right, I commit. Right mm -hmm. then. And um, we signed, me and Nick Fellows from Skyline, we went out as, as a, a nice little package deal down to Waco. That's awesome. When you got there, what'd you think? I thought I was going to come in because they were sorry. I thought I was going to come in and start. They sorry. So but I'm you said in. you was 160, right? 165? I introduced myself at Baylor. My name is Joshua Bell. I'm from Dallas Skyline High School, and I'm 160 strong. Mm. That was my introduction. <laughs> but see, they had already knew me because we went down there early. I want to say June 1st, my mama took me and Braylon Davis. Now, Braylon was my boy from Carter. Me and Nick went down there, but Braylon was one of our guys, too, from Carter. He was the state champion in the four by one, four by four. You know, he was more heralded, but we became real close friends. And at Baylor, um, I saw, I went in in a class of 25. And when I was a senior, a senior night, we probably had five guys. And Brandon Whitaker was one of those guys that made it from freshman, as freshman, all the way to the end. We probably only had 10 guys out of our class that made it and graduated. Um, B. Witt's another great guy. Man. And that's my number sake, because we won number two together. Yeah, that's another, like I was, I was happy to be around him in Montreal. You know, when I got to Montreal in 15, the running back group was Brandon Whitaker, Ty Tyrell Sutton, uh, Brandon Rutley, Steph Logan, Chris Rainey, and Jewel Hampton. Like, that was our running back group, like in training camp. They'd be like, hey, man, let me get this ready. We go, no, you're not getting this ready. Oh, somebody go play receiver for me because we're going to get the ball <laughs> by the hands. Yeah. We end up releasing uh, Brandon Whitaker and um, and Chris Rainey. Mm. It was just yeah. such a tough thing. But, you know, Whitaker had the injuries and, and things like that just before. Uh, felt like it was kind of Suddy's time. You know, and Brandon was right there as that young guy that could definitely fit in well. And, um, yeah, Steph Logan was going to be the returner. Man, that's a roster there, bro. Boy, we went to Ottawa for the first week and we ran the ball so much against Ottawa in that uh in that preseason game. And it was just like Chris Rainey broke one for 40. Jewel Hampton broke one for 40. Steph broke one. Like everybody kept breaking them. It was just like, man, this is crazy. Uh, and then you gotta do something with a roster like that. I'm trading somebody. <laughs> <laughs> something for somebody. The only hard part I hated was Chris Rainey got cut the um, the day after he took everybody to the movies. Higgins was like, um, all right, we want to go to the movies. How many people want to go? And, like, so many people raised their hand. You know, in training camp, it's 80 people. It's about right. 60 people raised their hand. Chris Rainey goes, hey, coach, I'll pay for it. Just like that. Pay for everybody to go to the movies, and they release him the next day. And he let him pay it. Yeah. That's cold-blooded dirt now. Yeah, that's crazy. But that's the game. That's part of the game, man. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the that's the shitty part. Yeah, right. Dang, chosen way of life, man. Yeah. Chosen way of life. Now, Nick, hold on now. Hold on now. Now, now when we talk about college, I got recruited and went to Baylor. But now, how did you end up at uh because I don't know this? Southern Arkansas. How did you end up at Southern Arkansas with my kinfolk? Mark Daniels. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, me and Mark, we hung out strong. We still do. Um, one of the biggest things was in high school, like I played in a high school basketball star game and a high school football star game. And nobody really went to school, college to play football from my high school. We had one guy go to Will Mathis. He went to um, OU on a full ride. He was like 6'7", 360. But he only played on the field goal team the whole time he was there. Never touched the field on offense. Right? Mm-hmm. He was offensive lineman. And, um, yeah, but nobody just ever really went to play college football or anything. So it wasn't, like, heavily recruited. I got letters. I got a letter from Georgia Tech, my first letter. And some other schools, North Texas, things like that. I didn't take a lot of that stuff serious. My, my high school coach said, write down the top ten schools you want to go to. I never made a list. So then – uh, my dad had sent out my highlight film to uh, a bunch of schools. Southern Arkansas was one of them. We went and visited. Um, I liked it. It was small. It uh, wasn't really big. And then I, the, when I played in an all-star football game, uh, two of the receivers didn't show up. So it was just me and another receiver. So I played the whole game. Uh, it, was, it was called the um, Oil Bowl or something like that, uh, something bowl um, out of West Texas. We played in Childress. Oh, okay. Right? And um, the Greenbelt Bowl, that's what it was. And, yeah, I went off. I had, like, seven for 185 and two touchdowns. And our coaches were from Navarro, and they offered me a scholarship to go to Navarro for two years. They were like, you come to Navarro for two years, you go anywhere you want to go. Mm. And uh, I was like, no, I already talked to Southern Arkansas, so, so I, I'm going to go there. So I walked on to Southern Ark. Yeah, I was the visit to walk on, man. And then uh, I got there. We ran the option. Um, we only traveled four receivers. We had 12, nine freshmen, uh, one senior, one junior, one sophomore. And um, me, the guy that was East Texas Player of the Year, Juan Bedoya, was slated fourth on the list. I was slated 12th because they I played quarterback my senior year, so they wanted me to be quarterback to run the option. Mm. And I was like, no, nah, I'm a receiver. So – they let me go to the receiver, and I went from 12th to 4th by the end of uh, training camp. And, yeah, then, yeah, it kind of happened from there. And that's why I learned how to crack back and block people like that because we ran the option, and we won receiver sets. Uh, and, you had- but, but the thing is that when you play against the option, teams are only going to cover one or cover three to get that extra man in the box. So I didn't see a lot of different coverages and things like that. So it was mainly I beat the guy in front of me. I'm gonna destroy it. So went on and I broke every record there and was just until last year I was the only person with a thousand yards and did it two years in a row. Yeah. Oh. But now they run the spread. They've been running the spread ever since I graduated. Yeah. Right. It so it's uh but I mean it was a part of it, right? So and that's how life is. Just mm-hmm. walked on and you know, like you said, you got to learn it. Huh? Yeah, you know, it was good. But, you know, you, you have those moments where you just, like for me, I never competed. I tell people all the time, I was like, I didn't have to compete in my hometown. I was always one of the better athletes. So I didn't know what it was to dig deep and go beyond this competition because I never had to compete for a starting job. I was always a starter. Oh, dang. Like I was always a starter in football, basketball, baseball, you know, 
track. I was on the four by one team. Like I was always just in there. But then when I went to Southern Art, I seen people that were better than me. But I said, okay, that's where I got to get to. And, and for the up. first time, that's where I learned how to, I love competition. I don't even like football that much. It's just the <laughs> fact that you give me a chance to compete, I go compete. Right. 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 Yeah. That's just the platform, right? So the fo football became the platform for the competition. And the better competition I got to play, the better I wanted to compete and the better I wanted to be. So it didn't even matter who you put in my way or what it was. Right? I had my best games against Corey Banks, but I always have my best preparation against Corey Banks. You know what I'm saying? So I understood I can't attack him like I attack other players. Mm -hmm. Right? So this is, you know, it's part of that evolution of just, like we talked about, competition and, and rising to the challenge, and that was the best part. There'd be times I'd be pissed off if the call came in and in the game, like going to somebody else. Like, I want that. Really? I'm good if you, you know, I'm good if you make it, but I want that every time. Yeah. Not one time, every time. I don't, <laughs> you want, know nobody, I don't want nobody around <laughs> me. I don't feel like You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I don't want nobody around me that don't feel that same way. We're going to be yeah. mad because you ain't called a call for me. You ain't look for me. Touchdown. Good. <laughs> we happy. But yeah. I remember I break the huddle, just be like, I wanted that. You know, yeah, there's times in games I look at the sideline. I'm looking at the sideline like, hey, get me the ball. Let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, really because I understand what it was. And it was just like, uh, you know, Jordan Babineau uh, mm -hmm. played in Seattle. So we came in together as well. Yep. So we all came in together and, um, you know, great recruiting class, man. So it was, uh, I think it's the best in Southern Arkansas history. Me and Jordan Babineau, Mark, and – Everybody that played there and, like, four guys went to home to play f pro football in different leagues right. and stuff like that. So, it's, um, yeah, I was the walk-on. Dang. I didn't know you were <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I was a zero star. <laughs> man. And that's what I – I mean, a lot of the high school guys now, uh, I, I hate the fact that I didn't get to get to high school this year, but – uh, I, as much as I wanted to, like I've been in the past because of Corona. But the guys now, they're so stressed out as juniors about getting offers. They're stressed. If they don't got an offer by their junior year, they're like, hey, nobody. Like, they're, they're starting their class. You know, they, they, they rank themselves amongst peers by how many offers they got. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't get an offer until I was a senior December. And that's all potential. They offer the potential size, to your size. size. Yeah, but the way you look, how you look good getting off the bus, we could turn this guy into something. Mm -hmm. Right? You even look back to who's the quarterback at Texas, uh, Swoops. Oh, man. So, yeah. So I played quarterback my senior year, and we went 7-4 and four in 2A. Mm -hmm. He played quarterback at a 1A school at 6'5", 250 pounds. He won three games in two years, but he was a five-star recruit. They recruited him off his size. If you can't win a game at 6'5", 250, you're the biggest guy on the field. I didn't even have a lineman that was 250 in 2A. 
And I, I rate I rate the A's like this. So like one A, you might have one to three good players on a team. Two A, mm-hmm. you might have three to five good players on a team. Then you know as you get old, more and more because more and more people, you're gonna have better and better players, right? You're gonna have you know five A, six A. You're gonna have ten to fifteen guys that are really good on a team at that time, right? I mean, eventually those guys are gonna get better and better, but he's probably the best player on the field and he yeah. can't win games. Can he win more than three games in two seasons? Right. But Texas says we want him over um, the kid that went to Ohio state out of Wichita falls. Um, he started and went to the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. He was before Cardell Jones. Uh, oh, the uh, lanky Braxton one. Miller. No, no, not Braxton. The lanky one. JT Barrett. Yes. JT Barrett. Came out of Wichita Falls, wanted to go to Texas. Hmm. Jameis Winston wanted to go to Texas. Matt Quare, I won't even call him back. Right. So this is where you're you're looking at like Texas has all these struggles, but they don't have no, it's not an excuse. Like you can't tell me a state that has so many quarterbacks. But all your best quarterbacks go somewhere else. Yeah. Because you, you know won't what I'm go you're supposed to go get the one that wants you gotta dance with the girl you brought to the who like you yeah they want they thought tyrone soups was going to be the next vince young and that's the problem with texas they've always lived off this we need another vince young so you go and get a six five quarterback that can't win games in high school and expect him to win games in the big 12. but see that was just like heard though heard from dengar yeah he he was never a passer no uh, so he was a great athlete, and then that kid got down there and didn't get to do nothing playing football. No, just waste his time. I guess he learned. Until like this, Browns wasn't they weren't doing that at Baylor because the athletes got on the field, baby. Ooh, Baylor's got back, so many back, athletes. Baby. Baylor's got so many athletes and so many great receivers. Katie Cannon and, and Man, dude, there's so many. Oh, in the last 10 years, like I, I think you can put them up against anybody in the nation, even with the Alabama and Clemson, as far yeah. as skilled receivers coming out of college. Mm-hmm. You know why? Brown said we can't. I talked to Kyle Lowry. I played with him in Denver. He was a, he's a, I want to say he's the OC now for uh, Tulsa. Yeah. When he was at Baylor with Browse, I said, hey, I got this kid I think you might want to look at. He said, uh, is he, he got a track meet this weekend? And I'm like, I don't think this kid run track. He said, well, I, nope. I can't really, I can't really do nothing with him, bro. Cause if they skill position, especially receiver, when I need to know what his times are, that's what we want. That elite level speed. Yeah. And teach that speed. And that, that was, that was the philosophy is that speed kills. And I understand because even if a guy ain't that, that good, I don't believe Devin Duvernay is that that good, but he's faster than everybody else because the kid ran 10 over in high school. Yeah. I do it can scoop. And he's gonna be great in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Mm. In, in Hollywood. <laughs> Man, you better put your track shoes on. Scissors concept. Mm. Boy, scissors concept that what's that? That dagger? What y'all call it? D uh what is that? This and this. Yeah, yeah, we get to sell out. Yeah, you can't do nothing. You can't, can't do, do nothing, nothing with it. Can't nothing. do nothing with it. 
put a whole bunch of DBs on the field. You just showed a sign earlier, and I was going to talk to you about that. How did you choose that, and when did you choose that in college? Omega Sci-Fi. Ooh. Um, I chose Omega Sci-Fi in college. What year? Uh, 2005. Okay. Mm, so that's been third year uh it was it was the summer i got I okay got with summer okay so my my roommate braylon and uh, my uncle is a capital uh talked about coach roberson coach derrick roberson that was a coach my recruiting court coach he was an alpha wesley mcgriff my recruit the coach that recruited me to baylor was the bros he's omega sci-fi my strength and conditioning coach omega sci-fi my assistant strength and conditioning coach, Omega Sci-Fi. Uh, one of my coaches in high school that would play dominoes with us and talk to us about women, drink, <laughs> raise. Girl, where your mama at, girl? You know, you know, you know, coach like that was the bros. And we spent a lot of time with him. He, he taught us life. So I got, my, my boy said, Braylon said, man, it's an interest meeting for Omega Sci-Fi. You want to go? I'm sorry. We always went someplace and went to study hall together. So I'm like, all right, I'll go. You know, I'd be interested. I don't know if I want to do it, but I'd be interested. Went to the interest meeting and they were asking, why do you want to be a member of Omega Sci-Fi? I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be a member. I, just <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking about all the men that were kind of directly affecting my football path. My coach that, uh, I won back-to-back -back national championships with Fred Goodley was Omega Sci-Fi. One of the assistants, Omega Sci-Fi. A lot of, it was a lot of fraternal members around me playing football, but the numbers kept leaning on the most influential man that set the structure, the discipline. Uh, I got paddled uh, with some, a purple piece of wood that had Omega Sci-Fi on it when I was 10. Mm. Because I talked in the, in the lobby at the Orlando sports facility where we were at and everybody supposed to be quiet. And I was down there talking. All right, we get back to the room. You got three. <laughs> you, got you got four. Because you were talking. So uh, I chose that in 05. And because of the men that I had seen throughout that time, those men helped me. Those men were influential in my life with discipline, work ethic, believing that I can conquer anything. Yeah. And, and they kind of, you know, I was always a toy soldier. Just wind me up, I'll do whatever you did. So uh, those men really helped me. And when I did that, when I played, when I when I chose to be a member of Omega Sci-Fi, it kind of just made sense and everything lined up. Yeah. You know, um, I lived on the Q floor. Um, yeah, I stayed right beside Babineau. My, my roommate, um, my, I, I think it was, it was my best friend from college said, so, He's a Q. He, he's a Q, and we lived on the Q floor uh, in college. Babado was my roommate, uh, next door to me and everything like that and things like that. So it was always one of the things, if I would have pledged, it was always going to be Omega Sci-Fi. That's the only thing I felt like I related to. You know, oh, when I go back to Southern Art, they try to still get me. I said, man, I can't be paper fret because I'm too old now to be hit and do all that. I can't do... I can't put myself through nothing like that no more. <laughs> but your motto is friendship is essential to the soul. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Um, 
with me being with it being a you know uh christian based membership i'll I always go lean back to the word of god because it says you know uh, what greater friend i have than jesus you know oh what friend we have in jesus so when it comes to friendship is essential to the soul it makes sense to me because friendship is something that you choose as opposed to doing something that's obligated yeah a lot of our friends we we count them as blood even though they have no drop of blood in us because yeah. we know that that level of loyalty and I, I believe that level of loyalty that you get from somebody that's not blood that's not obligated to you friendship is is monstrous man yeah. uh, you know who would we be if some people have uh, only children they grow up throughout life and they could be alone the whole time but they didn't have nobody that was a friend yeah uh, so that friendship is essential to the soul is almost everything to me. And it's my philosophy of life because that's how I live. Uh, I try to respect the man, but also be a friend to people. And whatever we whatever we, we naturally think, you know, and I create my own thoughts. But what we naturally think about what a friend is, why we can't be that to every single person we meet? Exactly. 100%. You know, especially people that we love. Now, not, not just saying people we meet, but the people that we love and close to us, come on now. That's too easy. Yeah, I wanted a hundred percent. When you were in college, you said you went to one eighty one by the senior year. When did you know and believe you could play in the NFL or have a chance to go? Uh, when I was seven, oh, somebody, something. Well, I, I I believe in the mind. I believe. I don't believe in, um, I understand some of the institutionalized things in life. Uh, I understand the structure and the hurdles and obstacles in life, but I always believe that you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish. So somebody asked me what I want to be. You know how they do the kids. What you want to be when you grow up? I told them a football player. They say, well, what if you hurt yourself? You can't be a football player. I said, well, I'm a scientist. Cause I used to like Bill not a science guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. And from that, from that time, with that one conversation, can't remember who the person was, but it was a man. Can't remember who that person was, but they asked me that question and I never deviated from that one path. So it wasn't an option of, I think I can make it to the NFL. I want to be in the NFL. And everything that I did was to make it to the NFL. I never had the desire to go to college. That was just was, part of it. Yeah, you have to go to college to go to the NFL? Okay. You have to get recruited, and the people that get recruited higher or get scholarships, they have more likely of an opportunity to go to the NFL. Yep. That's the only thing. That's what I did. My life from the time I was seven or eight was focused on NFL. So I thought I was going to make it then. And when I got to high school, I never had any doubt because even – I never had any doubt. Even the time I got cut the first time from San Diego, I never thought I was going to get cut. I went in there with a smile on my face halfway, trying to keep myself from smiling. I knew I'd put the work in. Yeah. So it was just, I've always believed. And so every every single day, man, Gerald Carr, I don't know where Gerald Carr is, Carr is now. He was our Aesop Fable coach. You know, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. We used to always, he got every day a line in the gazelle wake up. Every day a line in the gazelle wake up. That gazelle know his ass got to run to stay alive. And that lion know he got to go run if he want to eat. 
something gonna happen. One right. of the two. Every single day, you're gonna take one step closer, one step further away from what you do or what you want to accomplish. And that's all I did my whole entire life. Man, I had so much good guidance around me that all I had to do was listen to the doggone people and what they said because when I was feeling weak, I would hear Coach McGriff. I could hear Gerald Carr. I could hear those people. I could hear my mother still today uh, in reflection of me. It's like, oof, boy, I couldn't deal with you. <laughs> you know, I, she, I, don't, I could not date you, boy. You a handful. In those moments, when I can hear those voices, they keep me, you know, it keep me from being that, that handful that my mother would speak about. Yeah. Or, you know, that, that one step further, one step closer, one step further away. Every single day, if you can stop and look and be like, dang, I didn't do nothing to get to what I want to get to. That's you a know? great approach. Yeah. That's that's a great approach to not only just sports, but just life in general on mm -hmm. what you want to accomplish in life. Going to the CFL after the NFL journey. Mm -hmm. Have you ever watched the CFL before? How did you hear about it? And how did the process happen? Truthfully, I knew nothing about, excuse me, I shouldn't say I knew nothing. Truthfully, I had limited knowledge about the CFL. Limited knowledge. I had seen Ricky Williams go to the yeah. CFL. He got kicked out of the NFL for smoking weed. So I knew you could smoke weed in the NFL. It'd be legal. Ricky Williams went there. Yeah. Uh, I knew about the story of Warren Moon and Rocket Ishmael. Okay. I was aware of Title Town just because of that Warren Moon story and like how elite he was before he came because he played in Houston with uh, Spencer Tillman, who's family. Okay. And so I knew Warren was always a fan, black quarterback too, so it was always a thing. So I knew a little bit about the CFL, but at that point in time, I was NFL vision, so I had no knowledge of CFL. My yeah. agent, uh, Fred Lyles, is actually – Roy Shivers was like a mentor to him, a father. Mm. So he had me on the neg list with the BC Lions when I broke my foot in 2010. At the end of that season, 2011, he put me on the neg list. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have a job 2011. Signed with BC in 2012. So Roy Shivers got me to. I went to the open tryout just like every other guy. I didn't have a job for a year because I broke my foot. We won the Super Bowl that season. Didn't get a contract offer. Sat out the whole season. The next spring, my agent said, man, I, you know, I haven't been getting many calls. I called Reggie McKenzie, who's frat. I said, hey, Reg, because he brought me in the green bag. I said, what's up, man? You know I can play, Reg. Like, what's going on? I can't get no no calls, no offers. He said, well, I'm going to pay you. Why would somebody logically pay you 600000 going into your fourth season when I can get somebody for 300000 Yeah. I said, and you had injury history, Bill. I said, appreciate that, Red. I called my agent. I said, hey, let's go get this money. Let's go get a That's job. It. I want to play football. So let's go. He said, we got to see you on the necklace. I said, let's go play football. He said, they want they want to see you work out and move around because you ain't played in a year. But where they want to see me at? They want to see you at the open tryout. They're going to waive your, your fee to pay, and they're going to bring you in because they want to see you move and see if you help and see if you can go. I went to Pennington Field over here in Eulis. Mm-hmm. And you know it's competition. Oh yeah. It's a hundred guys out there, uh, maybe two hundred. Yeah, that's how I got found. Nick. 
Come on now. Hey, what y'all want to do? Y'all want to cover the receiver? You want me to cover him? Hey, Nick, Nick McAvoy pulled up on me after I covered the cat twice. He said, you got a passport? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Stube was there. Wiley was there. Mm. So Nick Mark was there. We actually, I loved their open tryout because they actually had all the coaching staff there. And that was when, you know, money was different. They had the whole coaching staff there. Yep. And he actually did one-on-ones and we ran skilly. Oh, wow. So I learned how to play. Uh, <laughs> I learned how to play, uh, what do everybody call it, 3DC? Yep. 3 double before, cut. Before, because Mark Washington taught us how to do it. I did it, and we knocked it out right now. And it was yeah. it was one of the best run uh, workouts I'd ever been to. It was it looked good. It was cold. It was raining a little bit over. And start. I'm about to come in and start. It's the CFL. I play in the NFL. <laughs> they ain't better than me. I'm me. You know, yeah. with humility, because you don't say that stuff out loud. You respect another man. Yeah. But you, you walk in like I'm about to own. Right now, and that's how I. He froze a little bit. Everything just. I said, Oh, did we freeze? Might be mine a little bit, but no, I understand now. I'm back. Yep. Huh? Oh, all right, good, 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 good. Yeah, but it was it was that it was just that process getting to BC and then learning from Corey. I thought I was gonna be a starter. I got there. You had Dante Marsh at Badger, Badger Court, Corey Banks at Badger Half, uh, Anthony Reddick at the Sam, J.R. LaRose, and Koshi Mwamba at Free Safety. Then you had Ryan Phillips out here, and you had Byron Park on the other side. Yeah. And then we, Lynn J. Shell mm-hmm. coming off the. So whenever somebody got hurt, I was, hey, Bill, I, you can play this week. <laughs> all these cats, <laughs> all these cats, all stars or legit players, you ain't getting on the field. Yeah. So that's a that's a tough situation to to go into with all of those He's great players. Then said, "Daddy." Mm. Mm. That's that's and tough. Then CFL, then Stoop took me to Calgary. Yeah, you only played for two D coordinators, and you've only had three since your whole CFL, and they've all been uh, a lot on the same line. I mean, Clay took a lot from Jones, and took a lot from uh, uh, Stoop, and took a lot from Rick Campbell. How you how you feel about that? Okay, give it to me again. Ask me that question. I was just saying, like, Clay took a lot from Rick Campbell, took a lot from Stubler, and took a lot from uh, Chris Jones. But your, your kind of lineage with D coordinators has been Stubler, Clay, and Monson now, um, mm-hmm. all along most of the same lines. With you and, and what you've learned through your CFL journey and, and that journey to be a D coordinator, how's that been? Uh, 
Uh, first off, I love it because uh, Stube actually freed my mind when it came to football. Kind of got me out of the philosophy that you learn the structure in football. You're always supposed to be this leg, this arm, this, this. Everything is structured. And if it's not perfect, the person that's wrong is wrong. Yeah. So we can identify that. We can point you out and we can make you get out of here and get somebody else in it. Um, Stu freed my mind to make it simple, extra simple. I had great coordinators and I actually had coordinators that played in the CFL before I got there. So they had a CFL philosophy of feeling of kind of more that Stu is that, that era of Stu yeah. and the relaxation of football. Take the stress out of it a little bit and teach guys that you're not playing by yourself, you're playing with 12. Yep, 100%. You're playing with 12. And it kind of, it makes guys kind of loosen up a little bit. If I'm my, if my, if my boot hole ain't tight, you know, because I'm going to make a mistake, I play better. Yeah. You know, I trust the guy. So as I, I love the stew free my mind because I've always been absorbing things uh, in football. He freed my mind to realize that everything that you're learning, throw it out the window. Yeah. Know it, know what you know, but know more about the the unison of the unit. Yep, 100%. And so Stube did that. Clay is that same. I learned from Clay because Stube is one way and then Clay has his sprinkle. Like you say, his influences and his personality are influenced inside of that. Clay is, you know, what you want me to do? And okay, if, it ain't, if, if I ain't listening, all right, it's my turn now. Turn it off. I ain't hearing you. I got it. You know, yeah. Monson, same way. Those guys are always, I've learned that you don't have to coach and be a tyrant as a coach from those guys. Yeah. You know, that free relaxation. Let guys learn. Let guys make mistakes. And now, as long as we are learning and making mistakes together, then we growing, we doing it. We might get pissed off at each other, but we are, we are all a unit, and coaches included. So, as I as I aspire to become a D coordinator, that that philosophy will continue to live on. Like Stoops' philosophy will always be Stoops' philosophy. But we don't have line. We have lines on the paper a little bit more. Yeah, because Stoops will hand you that paper. It won't be no lines on it. And now you got to figure it out. But those guys, the detail that they have, how meticulous they are, and the freedom that they allow their coaches and their players to have. It, it, I'm, I mean. The CFL and being under those three coordinators has helped me. I mean, I even have reached out to Richie Hall this offseason. Got his book, you know, kind of studying what he does because he's another guy that I have a lot of respect for. But I'm always watching, always. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you coming through. That's awesome. There's, You know what? One of the biggest things is, is that as a player, it's so physical. But as a coach, it's all mental. And just hearing your journey and how mentally strong and how mentally, um, how everything's achievable. I mean, somebody would be crazy not to give you a defense coordinator job because the fact of how willing you are and how competitive you are to find a way. And that's all coaching is, is finding a way. I know this guy's not better than this guy, but I got to help this guy or I got to, this guy has to do something, right? So mm. having that mindset and just – that's why I love coaching because it's figuring things out. Yeah. Right. right? It's just like the puzzle. 
right? You got to figure out, you got to figure it out. You got to do things that's not sound sometimes to throw wrinkles in there and do things like that. Um, so that's awesome, man. Um, Dick, hold on now. What up? Can you coach linebacker? I can coach any position. I got a linebacker right now at Northwestern. All right. Oh, you know, we're just we're just talking about me, you know, becoming the D coordinator, you know, and I'm always hey, I need people I can trust always. You know how we get down. hundred percent. You can trust. hundred percent. Yeah, man. It's but, it, you know, it's it's been a great journey uh, for myself. And now to see your journey and to understand it more and for people to be able to hear the journey you took. And for some kid out there that's not might not be playing right now. Mm. You know, I'm reading a book right now called The Winter Effect. And the first chapter it talks about the first chapter it talks about the kids that say it's your fault or it's too hard or it's somebody else. Those are the ones that never really grow. But it's the ones that say I didn't work hard enough or I didn't do well enough or it's they put it on themselves. Yeah. Put things on yourself, right? If you understand that you can achieve things, you know, I mean, everybody can't be a professional athlete, mm -hmm. right? But you can actually grow and be the best high school football player you could be. Yes. The best college football you could play, be, right? But, but what you did to get to that point for the rest of your life, if you apply that, you can do anything you want to do. Does that oh, make, you know what I'm saying? Football is a game of life. That's what they say. Football is a game of life. If you can maximize your potential as a football player, then you easily get that same habit in life. Hundred percent. And that's what this is about, man. I'm so I'm so glad you came on and shared your mindset, shared your story, because I think it's needed, especially right now with COVID and everything that people are going through, uh, just to have that mindset and understanding of. I said this is the time to reset. If you wasn't happy with your life and where it was going, hit that reset button and let's go. Like this is your time to fix it. Man, saw some investing Vincent uh, Donaldson yesterday. He's like, man, I'm coming out of COVID better than I went in. I said, I am too. Like that's, but that's the mindset you have, mm. right? But how can now the people like you, like me, like us? that are doing things and, and improving, hitting that reset button on COVID. And the people that we've been in COVID for over three months now, the people that haven't done it, if they watching today, what do you think we can do to help stimulate them to get that restart button? What, what can help them restart if they ain't restart yet? I think it's just uh, listening to your mindset. Like, you know what? It's not COVID that's stopping me. It's mm. not it's not everything up to this point that has stopped me. It's what I'm doing. You know, the common denominator in your life of everything that goes on is you. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether whatever, you're the common denominator. So maybe it's the choices you're making, maybe it's the people you're hanging around, maybe it's all these other factors. You know, they say we are where we spend our money. Wherever you're putting your money into, that's what you are. Wherever you're putting your time into, that's what you become. So be the person that you want to be or that you need to be, right? You've had to make decisions that, okay, I want to go to this party, but that's not going to get me where I'm going. 
Right. I want to go do this, but I'm, that's not going to get me to where I need to be. Mm-hmm. So the conscious mind of making the decision to better yourself. I think that's the ultimate goal is just to be in a point to where one, you can't blame others because it's your life. If you blame others and if you continue to blame others, it means you continue to hang around the people you shouldn't hang around. Right. You know, just be the person that you want to be. I think it all comes back with, like you said, be, you know, with the friendship, treat people like your friend until they treat you different. Right. I don't have to meet you. I can treat you like my friend and I can treat everybody I meet like my friend until they show me something different. Right. Right. That carries over because you never know who you're going to meet that can change your life. Mm. Right. So that's what I'm going to That's it. That's it. But that's, that's what I'm saying. So everything that we're doing and for me, the reset button, like I had a, I had a TV show coming out until COVID hit. Am I mad about it? Nope. Now I'm launching a media company. Right? So I'm just right. I'm just doubling down. A dream deferred. Right? So it's all about the growth. Where am I trying to go to? How can I be better on a TV show? How can I be better on all these things? Start a podcast. This is my practice. This is everything that I'm doing in the steps to build the rest of my life. You, you know, and there's got to be a plan in place and there's got to be things that you want to accomplish. And I mean, new year, new mountain, my shirt, you know, clothing line, king. It's, it's all about what am I trying to accomplish? If, if I die and the only thing you can remember me for is football, I failed. Mm, mm, church. Right. I failed. So I, I understand the impact and the position I'm in. I, I feel like God put me here for a reason. So mm. this is the platform I was given. So this is the platform I'm using for positive and to uh, show people that it's not easy. It's not easy to get to where you want to get to. Mm. But know? it's not supposed to be. You are just facing no. what other men admit. Everything you go through is preparation for the time that you need it. Mm. right all the like championships championships just validate all the failures i needed to go through those failures to be great enough to win that championship that day Mm. you know what i'm saying Mm. i needed to go through those things to be the man i am today right everything we go through you know i'm saying it's it prepares you for the moments where they're really life-defining and you can make a decision and if you didn't learn from those mistakes or you didn't learn from those times you'll continue to make the wrong decisions Dang. You know I try to tell a lot of times don't forget the weight you carry yeah. when you get under pressure don't forget about that weight you carry because you're strong enough to carry the pressure yeah you, you don't forget about that weight you carry remember you was carrying all that weight then now, now you're feeling like man I gotta give up now you carried all that weight why you gonna give up now exactly that's it. Man. So, and that's what this is about, man, is just sharing stories, sharing, you know, laughs and uh, just good times of remembering back about your life. Because even for us, what we get out of it is, for me, I learned you more. We were teammates and, you know, we've been around each other a long time. I have so much respect for you. 
and and things like that. But for you to actually go back and relive some of those stories and just to take a second to appreciate what you've accomplished already. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes, like for me, I always said, I don't think I'll ever be successful until I'm dead. And the reason is because I'll never stop wanting to be successful. I'll never stop trying to find success. And the moment I do, it's time to die. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's so, but it take for us to think back and just be like, damn, I did some good things. You know what I'm saying? I, I accomplished some things. I climbed some high mountains and I got there and I achieved some things in my life that I should be proud of. Mm. Man. But I'm keep going. Right. How do you see, were you able to, uh, live in the moment as a younger man and appreciate what you were achieving? No. Were you able to do that? Could, when no. did you start being able to say, in the moment? When I broke my leg. Mm. I, I was always, I was always the guy on the side, I'm looking at the scoreboard. All right, how we, we got to score this many points. Uh, I remember we were down to Toronto one time, 24 to nothing at halftime, or 24 nothing. Uh, oh no, Montreal at 24 nothing. And uh, three. Yeah. 29 three at home. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we got to score this many for half. We score this many for half. Then we come out and score the second, third quarter. And then uh, we got a chance to beat them in the fourth quarter. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the scoreboard. I'm, I never had really much fun playing. When I broke my leg, it was like, you know what? I should enjoy this. Then I started going out and enjoying it more and just letting the results be the results. Just, in, just enjoy competing. And if I, if I have fun competing enough, then, you know, we'll win in our fair share of games. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So until then, it was always like I couldn't have fun because I'm always like, okay, we're up by this many. If they go down and score right here, then we got to score again. We got to leave at some points. So I'm always in my mind working to how we can win this game. Uh, until it's done. Yeah. Even with 62 seconds on the clock left, you're <laughs> exactly. still prime all possibilities. Exactly. Like, 100%. Just this. like a coach. I was like, always mindset was just working instead of just enjoying going out there, you know, games on the line, just say, you know what, win, lose, or draw. Let's go have fun. Let's go out here and do what we're supposed to do. Mm. I was constantly processing each play. Okay, this play call is going here. We could get this many yards. We're going to do this, and okay, the next play should be this. And then, so I'm, as a coach, I'm like thinking about these things during the game Mm. when I play. Yeah, yeah. I would always have play calls in my head that I think we should run. I could finish. I could finish the sentence of the coaches before they even gave the call. Yeah, they'd be like open mug or even. I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. It's second down. They first to call this anyway. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So it, it just got to the point to where it does become stressful because wins and losses becomes the only thing, and it's not to actually enjoy the game. Right? Sometimes I go golfing, and I'm like, if I'm, if I'm going slow, somebody's holding us up, I'm like, man, they need to hurry up. But then I think, like, but I'm out here to enjoy myself. Yeah. I'm not out here to rush. Like, just yeah. calm down. You know, right. so, and that's, that's what, it, you know, just trial and error of, of life of competing and, and wanting to be the best, it never stops. But some people run out of 
okay, I can't be the best in sports anymore. So what am I going to do now? I've prepared my whole life to do something for three years on average. Right. My whole life was prepared to do something for three years on average. I was lucky to get 14 in. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but I knew I couldn't do it for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? So people prepare every day for, to go pro. And they can't be a pro for the rest of their life. Yeah. Dang. I was blessed with that opportunity to say, I get to make this my career. Yeah. People say, why would you stop playing and start coaching? Because that clock was almost a year or two left. Yeah. Maybe a year if they let me. And this clock don't got a limit on it. No limit. 100%. Bro, you just really, you just really helped me in life by just speaking about, because when I ask you the question about um, how, how you've been able to absorb it in the moment, you even went down to the, you went even further than I even had the expectation right there. Yeah. I was thinking about, because in some of my moments, uh, when I was cut and I was out of football for a year, yeah. I ran. You know, you know how it is in the summer, you go to a football field and it's got cracks in it that big. Yeah. You know, I'm running in those fields fighting tears, you know, because I felt like I would never play football ever again. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I was cut. I didn't know. I had never been cut before. I had never been in an NFL organization before. I yeah. got cut. I not know if I'd play again, but I knew how to run. Yeah. And so... After that, I, I promised to God, I said, God, is, I've been hurt. My knees are bad. I said, God, if you let me stand up on this field, if you let me stand up on these two feet, I don't care what injury I got, I'm going to run. And I, I started to appreciate everything. That's when I started to smile more. When I got to the CFL, I started to smile more. You see a lot more pictures on the football field, me smiling, dancing. Yeah. People know Joshua Bell as the face paint, dancing. Yeah. Having a good time. That's because I learned to appreciate everything. And I like, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I don't need to do nothing special. I know what I'm doing <laughs> in this game. Nick, I ain't do no warming up in pregame. No. What's the music? <laughs> Give it to me. You feel me? Let, let's come on. Let's get this crowd up. Let's have you some know, One thing before we go. I never prayed for patience. Never prayed for patience in a game. Because I never wanted, because I know if you pray for something, you have to go through something. I never prayed for patience because I always wanted the ball. And if I knew if I prayed for patience, I might not get the ball for a while. So I already knew I can't pray for that. And I never completely tell God you have complete control until 2013, Mm -hmm. August 17th, when I broke my leg. It's the first time I ever said, God, I give you 100% complete control. I already know he got it, but to actually pray for it and to say and to verbalize it. Mm. That was the day I broke my leg, and that's the day that changed my life. For the so much better. Oh, you said August 17th? August 17th, 2013. August 17th, 2013. Okay, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. My son's birthday, August 17th, 2015. Really? Or excuse me, 2015. 14, so yeah. yeah. See, that's the, that's the day that changed my life forever. Because it just, it took all the pressure off. I mean, I had nine straight thousand-yard seasons. I had all this. I'm chasing Terry Vaughn, 11 straight thousand-yard seasons. I'm on pace for my 10 straight thousand-yard season. I'm like, everything became the pressure. Everything became the 
the results and it wasn't it wasn't about just going out and having fun. I needed certain stats, certain games. I needed certain, you know what I'm saying? So everything became that. And then everything was gone after that. And I felt at peace after that. Mm. Right? So, yeah. Got up off the Yep. I think I became a better teammate after that. Right? So I think everything about it, my mentality, my mindset, everything became better after that. And or some people be like, that'd be the worst day of your life. That was the best day. Because right. that's the day that changed me to be a man and be able to accept and uh, understand that I do have the opportunity to change not only myself, but others. So, yeah. Power of God, man. It's not always <laughs> about us. <laughs> <laughs> like, can, can, can I get that recorded? See, I need this, that little slip, slip, snippet right there to show these young kids or these young men. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I put a smile. I appreciate every single moment. Stop getting caught up in that hustle and bustle. That's why we be stressed out. Yep. Dang, Nick, I appreciate you. But before we get off of here now, you got on two garments that I like. <laughs> yep, I'd say you one. I'd say you one. But first, I need to know where they where I can get them from first. Because I'm going, if I get them, that don't mean nothing. Because I need to know where to tell people where they can get them from. Shop at alwaysbetonyou.com. I'll send you the link. This is my clothing line. So New Year, New Mountain was something I came up with this year. Uh, King also. There's other ones. It's positive affirmations. I started a clothing line with my nephew who's 19. He'll be 20 next month. And he's got 650,000 YouTube followers. And he thought it was just like luck. And I said, no, you got to learn business. And I said, um, you're 19, I'm older. My sayings with your designs and different things like that. So we got a lot of great stuff. Uh, one's called Create, Build, and Conquer. Like create your world you want to live in, build it, and then conquer it. Right? So then like, all that. So we got some great stuff on there. But New Year, New Mountain was going into this year, I didn't know what I was going to do. There's a lot of things going on. I knew some things I wanted to do, but I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So I was like, most people have New Year's resolutions and they say, you know what, this is my resolution for this year. And it lasts for a month because they think it's just going to be an easy change. I looked at it as a mountain and I said, I'm going to climb this mountain this year. I don't know the terrain, I don't know the weather. I don't know nothing about it, but I know I'm going to climb. If I dedicate every day, just like you said, to climbing this mountain, I know by the end of it, I'll be at the top. And at the top of a mountain, you're going to see other mountains. And I just got to find me another mountain to climb next year. Right? So that's where New Year, New Mountain came in as, you know, keep climbing the mountains. Don't look at things in life as easy. COVID was easy for me because I prepared for COVID. I didn't know it was going to be COVID. But I knew the mountain, I, I knew it was going to be, it was going to be something I didn't expect. It could right. be death. It could be, you know, it could be all these different things that you go through in life. You don't prepare for them, but you, you know that there's going to be challenges every day. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you'll enjoy the good days and you accept the bad days and you'll just say, look, that's where I'm going. Just got to keep climbing. Man. Right. So, Man. yeah, I'll send you the link. I'll send you the link for this for sure. I need them now because the positive affirmations, that's like my whole house. I mean, we yeah. buy t-shirts all the time. Oh, that's a nice t-shirt. We got to, you know, 
We got some good t-shirts. So yeah, I need that, especially yeah. that baseball, that three-quarter sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till I put some muscles back on this <laughs> Three-quarter sleeve right there. That look good. It's about to be fall in a minute, too. I need all of that. Oh, yeah. It's Calgary colors, too. Yeah, and that king up there too. You know, I like that king. You know, yeah, man. I got me a sweater with king on it. It's it's nice. I like it. Yeah. So you can go in there and check it out, man. It's uh, it's good. I, I I've definitely enjoyed what I've accomplished so far this year. Uh, looking forward to more. And um, yeah, man, however I can help you out. What? How can the people get a hold of you and and keep up with you on social media and what you got going on? Man, my social media is usually the same. Josh underscore Bell thirty four. And that's me. Sometimes I post a lot. Sometimes I post <laughs> light. Uh, like you say, with the football games, I love it. But for the most part, man, I try to make sure that I'm available. Um, at one point in time, I thought I was a celebrity. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was a celebrity. So I started thinking about myself. Don't give your phone number out. You know, people are like, don't give your phone number out. <laughs> man, I live a life in a beautiful world where the majority of this world is good. Yeah, 100%. You know, I'm a... I'm a text message or a phone call away. Yeah. You know, I'm an email away. And I understand in our life that the world, you know, needs us. We need each other. And so, I mean, I know, I don't know your podcast, but I'll be giving my cell phone number out on social media. Like, <laughs> hey, text if you about to jump off a cliff, if you about to kill somebody, if you're feeling down and you need somebody to talk to, text me. Cause I'm up all hours of the night till one, two in the morning, and I don't mind texting with people to build them up, give them encouragement. So my email is um, I'll give my jbell at stampeders.com. Yeah, there it is. You feel me? It's that real. Yeah. I ain't gonna give myself, but my my email is there, and I'm ready for anybody to reach out to me for anything. I had one of my the old kids that I met one time after a game because of Cornish, and a parent reached out to me the other day because he's struggling with uh, anxiety. Or depression, mm -hmm. they having anxiety attacks, and a lot of people. And I told, I say, I dealt with anxiety too because of some CTE stuff with headaches and anxiety and depression when my mother passed. And um, well, she had her first stroke in fifteen, and then she passed in eighteen. Yeah. I struggled with. Um, I, I got a prescription for Xanax and Lexapro, mm. and so I started to take all the concussions and hits that I took seriously. Yeah. And so from there, I'm like, hey, well, people need help. I need to help at a period of time. And I'm always ready to bro, email me, text me, call me, social media me 24-7 because somebody needs some help. And I got it. Yeah. You know, your mother was uh, buried on the same day as my grandmother who raised me. Yeah. Man. It's crazy. Man. And she out there in East Texas, too. Yeah. And out there in Longview, buried with my, my, her, my, my sister. Bed. Man, that's love, bro. My family from East Texas, Marshall area, but then they, yeah. So then they moved to Jacksboro and Grand Prairie. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes, indeed. Well, I appreciate you, JB. I thought it was gonna be an hour. We did two hours. It was, it was all good. It's all good. It was great convo. So we should have. We should have had. We should have talked over the weekend. Then we wouldn't. <laughs> if we talked. I love it. You know what, Joe Rogan does three-hour podcasts. Oh, okay. Right? So, I mean, it's, you know, I just believe if you have good content, people are going to listen. Like, mm -hmm. good stories yeah, and cool. everything. So, people will listen. And, uh, yeah, we'll get it done.
right, Nick, I appreciate you for having me on, especially today. I love to be on again, bro. Let's do it. Hey, if you're interested, here, I'll tell you in a minute when I get off this. But okay. this is that. Hey, we out. <laughs>